You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. singleness, if that would be God's desire. And as we continued in this bent, we were looking at some aspects of what about singleness? And what about uh, God's desire for us in singleness? And how do we handle uh, our thought life? And how do we handle the moral aspect of singleness? It's a big question, one of which I know that uh, many wrestle with. So we have to consider this, and I refer back to a man some of you may have met uh, years ago when he came to Sandpoint by the name of Al Brandt. He was a missionary uh, in Africa for over 30 years. His son and daughter-in-law and their and his grandchildren are now serving in Sudan uh, as a result of this man's uh, ministry. And when he was here, this was probably 30 years ago, we had a series of men's meetings, and he was able to attend one or two when we had this missions week, and this was years ago. And uh, during that time, he addressed the men. And he said, men, I want you to recognize something that you think that you may be okay since many of you are married. And you may think that you can have great control of your thought life. He said, I'm in my mid-60s, blind partially, and greatly afflicted. And I have to prostrate myself before the Lord each day in order for him to give me grace. And I have to have my mind renewed by his word daily. So he said, don't think that temptation will leave you because of age. So this is something that uh, really impacted me at that time. And I thought about it for quite a while. And as we were going through these various Bible studies, uh, I realized that God has called us to holiness. And if you would, uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, well, let's just start with verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, 
not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now, this is a pretty powerful statement, but it's a very lucid picture of God's will. And as we consider the life of married people or single people, we all have to deal with our thoughts. So here, Paul is exhorting the Thessalonians. Now, those of you who have studied the New Testament, let me ask this question. The Thessalonians, were they a wayward church or were they considered in some way exemplary amongst the New Testament church? One or the other. Which would you say? They were certainly not like the church of Corinth. Do any recall what they were referred to? Uh, <clears throat> by Paul earlier in this epistle? Well, let's turn back and see what Paul's opinion of these Thessalonians were. Beginning with chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. <clears throat> and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became, listen to this, examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So they were exemplary amongst the early churches. Paul said they were noted by their love for one another. They were noted because of their love for Christ. And here, he's addressing them very specifically in chapter 4, and he's telling them, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification, the word there is hagiosmos, which means set apart from sin and set apart unto God. The whole process that God does in us when we become believers is that of setting us apart each day. More and more as we are growing in Christ, he is setting us apart from sin and setting us apart unto God. So this is God's will, our sanctification. That is, that we are growing in the knowledge of Christ and we are growing in the likeness of Christ. 
But what is the battle? There's a battlefield here. So what is that battle? Um, we know that Paul talked about it in Romans, Romans 7. And he referred to it as this sin that dwells in his body, that is, his flesh. Now, when Paul re- refers to flesh, he's not talking about flesh and blood. He's talking about the unredeemed portion of our lives. That is, those that are in Christ are not fully redeemed. We remain in this flesh, this ability and propensity to be able to sin. Do we have a new nature? Yes. Is God dwelling us? Yes. But we still dwell in this flesh. That is the unredeemed portion of our being. That which is able to and has the propensity to sin. So we all battle that. Paul says that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. So that you not know what you should do. The things that I want to do, I find myself not being able to do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself, Paul says, doing. Oh, wicked man. So he refers back to the flesh. The wickedness that he's referring to is that unredeemed portion of human man. So as we consider this, Paul is saying, this is the will of God. Very clear, succinct. That is your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Well, Paul is talking here very specifically, and he's giving us instruction for all time. And so when we think of singleness, this is a very real and vivid battle that goes on. This is a battle that goes on with anybody, married or single. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, we'd have to be honest and say, yes, that is. It's not something that we discuss, but it is yet indeed something that Paul thought worthy to address these noble Thessalonians, those that were believers in Thessalonia. So he goes on to say that um, let each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, some... uh, commentators and theologians uh, refer to that vessel as being a person's wife. But um, there's many now that disagree with that because Paul was addressing all of the Thessalonians. And he was addressing the men and women, whether they're married or unmarried. And so many have come to understand that this uh, refers to the body. And we can liken that to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord 
is one in spirit. Flee immorality. Every other sin that man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So Paul here is not speaking uh, necessarily of the vessel being in reference to someone's wife. He's talking about keeping our bodies, our minds, thought, and bodies in alignment with Scripture and sanctifying ourselves, setting apart ourselves for God. Did not Paul say the same thing in Romans 12? Now we haven't got there. That'll be a couple of years if I'm able to. The Lord is gracious and gives me that ability. But Paul there, he, he gets rather strong language. And he said, I be, beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is acceptable, perfect will sacrifice unto God. So he's talking about setting apart ourselves, again, uh, the sanctification process of setting apart ourselves for God, for the purpose of honoring and glorifying him. So here is one aspect that we can consider. Uh, I talk to youth occasionally, and um, you find that the struggles that they have, though may not be in the exact same forms, that we all experienced at some point. These struggles are quite uh, real and they're raging. What are some of the things that um, in our contemporary society that we may struggle with? Uh, let's put it in the category of youth, college. Um, what might they be have as a struggle that they may face? Any thoughts? Lynn. Okay. All right. Um, in secular humanism, uh, in the school system, they promote uh, not abstinence so much, but they promote protection. So in essence, if you're going to ha- be involved in sexual relationships, just think about your protection. It's not a moral issue, really. It's a hygiene or disease issue, or maybe even a pregnancy issue. So, yes, that, that, uh, that's one of the things that permeates our society. What about hmm, computer technology? You think that would be anything that might be difficult for... Anyone? 
let alone just uh, students or youth or college. I would say so. I remember some seven years ago that uh, they were trying to address the issue of internet services in the local libraries. And they decided that even though they could access the internet and pornography, that they didn't want to censure that. So they thought it would be too much to do to censure children from watching anything that they may come across on the internet. Well, we don't have to go too far in our society to understand that when we talk about the world and the philosophy of this world, it's always the antithesis of what God's word says. It's always going to come up against godly philosophy, or that is God's word. It's always going to be the opposite. So that's why John warned us not to love the world or the things of the world. He wasn't talking about God's creation or the material world. He was talking about the demonic philosophy of this world. Because if anyone does that, and they do love that world, he says the love of the Father is not in them. Clear. First John is a really good epistle if one wants to do somewhat of an examination as to the differences and distinctions between a Christian and non-Christian, makes it quite clear. You do this, you don't have the love of the Father. If you hate your brother, say you love God, you couldn't have both ways. You either love your brother and love God, or you're not of God. If you love the world, and the things of the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, then the love of the Father is not in you. So very clear distinctions made for Christians. I think that we have to understand this as we consider parenting. We have to understand the role that God wants the parents to take in bringing up their children. And how important that is to God. In Deuteronomy, uh, you don't have to turn there. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this. The Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. So they went on further in Deuteronomy and he says, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals on your forehead. So even when the parents were gone, the written word was on the gates, the doorpost, and they were always discussing God's word when they sat down to eat or they rose up. The focus was teaching the children about God. Is it any different in the New Testament? I don't think so. Well, let's turn and look at what Paul has to say about that in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I mentioned last week to the youth that uh, I was going to 
discuss some of the challenges and some of the struggles they may have. And so I want to go, I want to cover that, but I also want to bring it into context here. Let's go to uh, chapter 6 in Ephesians, begin with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Pretty clear, I I would say. Um, It's interesting. Uh, Some of you may, I know that some of you like words. Why is it that sometimes the youth become contumacious? <laughs> Good. They ate too much. Contumacious, that means resist authority, insubordinate, and purposefully disobedient. I love those kind of words, but they're no good without an explanation of what they mean. But why is it that sometimes children resist authority? Well, I didn't hear. That's what, they do. That's what they do by nature. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, the first cause of every human problem is what? The sinful nature. And even a secular study, it, it uh, reveals this. And I'm going to just read it because I thought it was quite interesting. This is from the Minnesota Crime Commission. Now listen to what they came up with. Every baby starts life as a little savage. (laughs) He is completely selfish, self-centered. He wants what he wants, and he wants whenever he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmates, his toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, he sees with rage and aggressiveness which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. Well, they neglected to say that they're born with a sin nature because that's a secular study. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign, to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) that secular study is very true. So we have this battle. Part of it raging is the fact of the sin nature. So this letter, of course, Ephesians, was addressed to believers. Believing parents and uh, believing children. Now, Paul recognized that they had battles. Uh, As little infants, we take care of children, we raise them, we nurture them, and some of us change them. Um, Those who know me know that I'm being facetious. I didn't do too well in that area, 
Marsha changed them when it was necessary. I, we fed them. And you clothe them, you protect them, you nurture them. And as they grow, part of the role of a parent is to nurture them in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. That's a believer's responsibility as parents. We train them up in the way they should go. Part of the problems as the children grow older is that of the world system. Again, the satanic world system that we live in. God's plan is to build up the family in Christ, to strengthen the family and protect the family. The world should never be a good fit for a Christian. In other words, we should never really ever be comfortable in the world, in the philosophy of this world. I'm not talking about God's creation again. We've got to separate that in our thinking. But in the world philosophy, we should never enjoin in that and feel that it's what a believer should do. There's another factor that opposes Christians, and that is the humanistic philosophy. Um, those of us that have children, I've got children, grandchildren, and now a great-grandchild, Marcia and I. So we have some understanding of raising children, but we also know that as children grow, the needs grow. You're thinking when you're starting out that when little children are little, you bundle them up, you bring the car seat, you bring the blankets, you bring the little bags full of diapers and bottles and all kinds of formulas and things, baby food. That's what we did in the old days. Um, and so you think, oh, as soon as I can't wait till they get out of this and you know they're potty trained and all these things, it's going to get easier. But actually, <laughs> we know different. So it is increased, the responsibility of a parent. It grows increasingly as our children grow into young adults and into adulthood. And our hope is that we would be able to nurture them and train them up in the Lord, and that they would come to the knowledge of Christ and that they would be growing in Christ. So that's the goal of parents. But as we look at the um, children's responsibility, um, we think about what does this mean? What is Paul saying to them here? Children, obey your parents. Um, well, let's make a distinction here. He tells the children that they must obey their parents and also honor their mother, uh, father and mother. So let's make a distinction here in the language. First of all, obey has to do with action. Honor has to do with attitude. So when we think about obedience, it's to do with our behavior or their behavior and actions. When we talk about honor, 
we're talking about an attitude of honoring. Now, this is, of course, talking about a Christian family honoring their parents, but this is universal. Paul is trying to instruct the children to love their parents, obey their parents, and obey literally means, the translation is to hear under. That is to listen with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. Children are to put themselves under the authority of their parents. That's why I used that word earlier on, contumacious, that is willfully being insubordinate to authority or disobedient to authority. When a child willfully disobeys their parents, there are grievous uh, consequences there. Now, you know, we have different forms of discipline when the child's smaller than when they're older and when they reach their teens. So uh, we will discuss some of that when we get into the parenting part. But we have to understand the goal of parenting. And that is to be able to train up a child in godliness. So if we're looking at parents being obeyed and honored, they're to do so as unto the Lord. This is a command from the Lord. Actually, it's brought in from what? The Old Testament. Right? <clears throat> it is the first command with a promise, Paul says. So as we consider this command of honor your father and mother and being obedient to them, it's considered also in reference to the first one of the first commandments. <clears throat> in Colossians 3, Paul says this, Be obedient to your parents, Colossians 3.20, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So we're going to talk about the attitude of parenting and correction and discipline and all that thing, those things later. But I'm addressing specifically now what the responsibility of children or youth are to their parents. As we consider uh, the aspect of obedience, um, that is simply responding in a positive way to their parents. Ron. Good. That's a good point Ron brought out. You can teach a person just by disciplining to do right and wrong, but proper discipline is being able to teach the person why. When you give a child a responsibility to do or to carry out, or you correct, give corrective instruction to a child, you should be able to do so in love, and also explaining the reason why. If you say, for instance, uh, the child or young adult has friendships that 
don't seem like they would be a good association for your children. Um, humanists would say, well, they have child's rights. God's word says that we're to avoid uh, corruption. For a bad company corrupts good morals. So we should be very careful about the friendships of our children. If Paul is warning us that bad company corrupts good morals, and that's uh, in 1 Corinthians, I think, 15.33, then we have every right to want to govern. So if we do so, as Ron pointed out, we can do so with instruction. Why is it that we think that you maybe should not choose this type of individual for a friendship? Or why is it that you shouldn't read this book or watch this, whatever it may be? We should have guidelines as parents. The guidelines are from God's word. We should want them to be growing in the knowledge of God, and children should want that as well, those that are in Christ. See, there's a, there's a line here, and I want to try to make a little distinction, because when children uh, are not saved, or say a younger child who even doesn't have the capability of understanding the distinction between uh, what sin is, sin and righteousness, then, you know, we as parents don't just let them do whatever they want. We still guide and teach and correct. And we do so with love. And we can give understanding and explanation as we do so. If and when the child comes to know Christ, then we have even a greater opportunity and responsibility to nurture them in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. So we have every right and we're under God's mandate to do so as parents. So what are some of the things that we should govern? We should uh, uh, look at it in terms of helping them to grow in a place where they are able to make responsible and sound biblical decisions. So when they do leave the home, we can trust that the Lord will grant them the ability to continue on to make those right decisions. We should be doing that in the home, not hoping that maybe they'll learn it in Sunday school or maybe they'll pick a few things up at church. That's great. Kids can learn in Sunday school and learn from teaching and preaching. But the main responsibility should never be abrogated to the church. It is always back to the parents. So we should always remember that that is the essential responsibility of the parents. So let's get back to this aspect of obedience. Children, obey your parents. Well, when we think about Paul didn't just summarize it with obeying your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. That is, God has called children to obey your parents, and he has 
is part of his design for the family of whom all of us have been a part is that of being under the governing authority of the parents. So God's given that responsibility to the parents. He's also giving the responsibility to the children to obey. So we look at that as a response in the physical realm of action. Um, The basic reason for children to obey and honor their parents is simple, that it's right. God says that it's right. Right refers to that which is correct and just and righteous, to that which is exactly as it should be. For the children to honor and obey their parents is exactly as it should be, because everything God commands is perfect. Ezra declared of God, Then thou didst come down from Mount Sinai, and dost speak with them from heaven. Thou dost give them just or right ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And <clears throat> that was from Nehemiah. The psalmist says this, I know, O Lord, that thy righteous judgments are righteous. God's word is perfect. So when he tells us to do something, we are responsible to do so. So what about honoring parents? Mm. This encompasses a lot. Um, Basically, the word there, which means to value highly or to hold in highest regard and respect. Um, In both its verb and noun forms, the word is used as a term of reverence. Precious, honoring, regarding, uh, God, the Father, and just the same kind of honor. <clears throat> it's used by the Father in reference to the Son in Hebrews 2, the same word. So we should recognize that children are to show this honor to their parents. Reverence. Now, we're going to get to the parents later, so... <laughs> Don't feel like uh, you're going to be slighted in any way from instructions from God's word. As we consider this, it's not only a blessing to see children that do this, but it brings honor to God. This is God's perfect design for families, those that have children. He desires the children to show this obedience and honor or reverence to their parents. Now, it's interesting that this word carries on past the parenting stage. You may parent uh, a child for 20 years. Hopefully, by the time in their late teens, they're making adult decisions, but you may still have them in a household uh, when they're 20 or so. So your whole goal is to continue to nurture them, but they are becoming adults. We look at somebody in their late teens, early 20s as an adult. 
in the Hebrew culture, one that was 20 years old was able to go to war. They were considered men. Now, the bar mitzvah was carried out in the teens, but uh, a child or youth was not allowed to go to war till they were 20. So as we consider this children aspect, the word here refers to both male and female, and it also refers to that of bringing in those that are still under the authority of the parents, still living in the household. That's the framework for the word children. When we think of honoring our parents, this also encompasses that of providing for them when they can no longer provide for themselves. I love that. (laughs) But that's what it means. It covers that aspect. Because the parents have taken care, provided for, nurtured, fed, provided home and food and raiment for a child until they become adults and go out on their own. At some point, it may be necessary, if the parents are not able to do so themselves, for the children to take care of them in whatever means that may take. So that's also providing for the parents. Uh, the command to honor your father and mother is twofold, that it may be well with you. It relates to the quality of life, uh, being well with you, and that you may live long on earth. That relates to quantity of life. The original promise was to Israel, which involved actually many tangible and physical earthly blessings. But Paul's promise here reference. Uh, even though it may extend to that, is primarily talking about the blessings of fullness in the family relationship, the harmony that that brings, the fulfillment that that brings when one loves and honors their parents. So as we consider this, um, should parents have oversight to what their children do? Absolutely. It's a mandate for parents to do so. So for children, um, they should recognize the responsibility to submit to that. And uh, by the way, those should be reasonable and based on biblical reasons, not just because we want to be strict in this area and you you're going to do this, this, and this, because I think that's the way you should do it. I, I could uh, be like a Marine DI with my children, or I could be a loving father and raise them and nurture them and be reasonable with the things they're allowed to do and the things they're restricted from. Should a parent uh, govern what a child watches? Absolutely. Would that include the computer? Yeah, you're nodding your heads. Yes, absolutely. When you think about what could be accessed on a computer, absolute parental authority and oversight should be exercised. Thomas. Good. 
Excellent. Yeah, that includes all media because telephones, uh, they're doing a lot of things with telephones technology now that we didn't even think it were possible, but they're accessing internet, they're transmitting pictures, so there's all kinds of things that should be overseen by parents. So is parents' responsibility increase as they grow older? Absolutely. Dorothy. Uh, what Dorothy was pointing out, to some extent, the, the contemporary society is losing the ability to verbal communication. They're either texting or uh, Facebooking or whatever they do. There's all kinds of, uh, you computer geeks can give me all the terminology, but um, we got a propeller head back here, so... <laughs> But that's true. We have to be careful and monitor what is our child ready for and then govern what they're doing. Don. I had a conversation with a teen counselor a while back, and I asked him what the biggest problem was that they had children of today. He said the biggest problem is computers and telephones. And he said he'd much rather work. Interesting. I'll repeat that for the sake of the recording. Don was saying that he discussed with a was it a child psychologist or counselor? Counselor. counselor who was dealing with youth and teens uh, and also drug addicts. He said that he would much rather deal with a drug addict than he would with a teen that was hooked on the Internet or telephones. So you try to monitor that or even restrict it, you're going to get some reaction, and you're going to have to work through that reaction as Christians to be able to bring that into order. So we might look at this and go, wait a minute, this is kind of hitting me right between the eyes. Well, good. <laughs> we have to learn to follow biblical principles. Some of these may be hard, but they should be implemented. We care enough and love our children enough to oversee them. We should care enough to be able to bear whatever brunt we have to deal with and use loving, corrective measures to bring those things in order. We shouldn't fear that because it's a biblical mandate. God commands it. So for us to shun that responsibility would be disobedient as parents. We're called and commanded by God to do so. So as Paul goes on, <clears throat> he says that it may be well with you on earth Though these blessings may not extend to material blessings, they do reflect, as I said earlier, that of harmony and the fullness of the relationship of the family that God designed it to be. 
So when we see obedience in a household where children are obeying, you're going to see harmony in a relationship between parents and children the way God designed it. That doesn't mean there's not going to be upheaval. We all know that. There's not going to, doesn't mean we're not going to have confrontations, but we're to do so in love. Never correct in anger. Ron. Good point. This <clears throat> this reflects, Ron says, in the attitude of the child. Remember, if a child is obeying their parents, what are they doing? They're submitting to authority. Do you know how hard to find workers today that will be willing to submit like that? So it does reflect, and it will reflect that blessing to those who are being raised in such a way. We've seen it in our midst, in this body. I've seen it with young adults, those who have learned to respect authority. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit of a hardhead in that area. I thought I'd get out from under the authority of my parents and join the Marine Corps. I learned what authority was all about. So we have to recognize that submission and authority is essential, and especially starting with children. So whether they react to it, cry, feign, throw fits, we have to lovingly correct them patiently, raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as well as the children, youth, to be able to obey your parents and honor your father and mother. God has given that structure and that family unit with a designed purpose to raise up godly offspring, to honor him. So as we see this, and we see it reflected in society, absolutely. What Ron says is absolutely true. It could bring forth blessings that are material blessings because of the integrity and the ability for a young person to relate and submit to authority and to be responsible young adults. Dorothy. Yeah, good point. Dorothy was pointing out that uh, <clears throat> we have the responsibility of instructing our children and youth. Oftentimes, the roles have been reversed or even usurped through the teachings of schools from 
grammar school, high school, and college have given rights without responsibility and have reversed these essential roles that God has ordained from his word. So today we have uh, the Rights of the Child Act and they're trying to make it so that a child has the right to sue their parents if they don't get what they want. And society is going rampant because we live basically in an atheist, atheistic society. Well, <clears throat> we live in a society where uh, the God of creation has been denounced and neglected. Romans 1. So we have to understand that the primary role that we have is giving sound biblical instruction. We shouldn't shun that. We shouldn't fear it. We may have to work at it, and we should work at it. And yet we should recognize that if we have been given this responsibility, God's also given us the means and the ability and the grace to carry that out. He doesn't ever give us a command without the ability to fulfill his commands. Always gives us his grace. Empowers us by his spirit. This can only be done, by the way, children, youth, it can only be done as we consider that of being what? Filled with the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Everything that Paul has premised here is based on that sound biblical truth. We can't love our wives. Wives can't submit to their husbands. Children won't obey their parents or honor them. And parents will provoke their children to wrath if we're not walking by and governed by the Holy Spirit. So, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The other thing I wanted to address the youth with, which is pertinent to all of us, when it comes to these avenues of media forms, whether it be movies, television, or internet, or phones. Paul says this in Romans 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Uh, the word provision there is an interesting word. It's pranaia. pranaia. It's the basic meaning of forethought and planning. That is, every sin is usually thought about beforehand. Paul is saying, don't make any provision for the flesh. None to fulfill its lust. Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, I think, talks about taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus. These are uh, admonitions for all believers. But as we think of this time that we're living in, in this contemporary time in our society, where immorality is rampant and it's attacking every element of our society, we have to 
be on guard with our thoughts. Parents, we've got to really be on guard. Grandparents, watch, help your grandchildren. Don't, because it's no longer your responsibility directly to parent, don't negate your responsibility as a grandparent when they come over to visit. Make sure that they are in a pure environment. Give them that. Show that responsibility and godliness as godly grandparents. So these are some things that Paul addresses that I wanted to address this morning. And as we summarize it, I just want to leave you with this, that God cares very much about us growing in the knowledge of himself. He wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be holy in our thoughts. Hagias. Set apart from sin and set apart unto him. There's some very clear warnings throughout scripture, very specific in these areas of morality. We want to take heed to that. We want to impart those to our children and those of us that have grandchildren. To warn, to correct, to instruct in righteousness. To love our children, love our parents, and show them honor. These are commands. They're not just options. God's called us to that because ultimately that all brings glory to him. And that's our goal. As we think about this, it isn't just that we go to church and hear a message or go to Sunday school. We have a living relationship with God. That should reflect in our lives. If it isn't, then we need to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. Because if we're just putting on a religious facade, we're in grave, great danger. So I, I don't at all fear asking somebody where they are spiritually. They can get mad at me and say, well, I've been a Christian for umpteen years. But you know what? If they're not acting and living in accordance with God's word, it's a reasonable question to ask, is it not? We should ask that of ourselves. We should examine our hearts and motives, our speech, what we do, what we say, what we think, all those before the word of God. So it is a great responsibility and yet a great privilege to be able to parent and to be able to impart godliness and truth to our offspring. Any questions? I raised a few hackles. That's okay. I don't mind. You can attack me later or talk to me either one. But I want to stand on God's word. We don't want to back off from truth. I'm not afraid of standing up and proclaiming God's word. As long as I'm correct about what it's saying. Well, let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your divine revelation to us, the special revelation which you've given your children. We thank you, Father, for the 
commandments you've given us because we know that they bring glory to you as by your grace that we honor them and obey them. I just pray for each family represented here that you administer your word by your spirit and that you would enable each one of us to examine our hearts, to really see how we are before you, that we wouldn't be just living a uh, religious lifestyle, but that truly we'd be honoring and glorifying you with our lives. May you do that work in each of your children, and may you have the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.